You're listening to the Wellest Life Podcast, and this is Brandy Andres. this meme that I see on social media all the time. It's like, it's just one straw, said six billion people. When you dig in, then you're like, did you know? And these are my little aha moments along the way. Like, did you know that your gum is plastic? Did you know that your floss is plastic? Like, these are things that I had no idea. And so once you start discovering it, then you have that information, you have the power to make better choices. Hi there, friends. Today's guest has spent the last 15 years as a PR and marketing expert, helping now celebrated hospitality brands to strategize and grow their businesses. As vice president of one of the country's largest hospitality marketing and PR firms, she played a role in the opening of New York's Italy downtown and also led many more major campaigns for numerous award-winning restaurants, hotels, and even an airline. In 2019, however, she made a pivot in her career and launched her own sustainability-focused PR and marketing business, Elemental. Since then, she has already worked with some truly extraordinary companies and brands, including Chef Gavin Kaysen's lauded restaurant group, Soigne Hospitality, and David E. Kelly's sustainable aquaculture company, Riverence. Also, DuPont Serona, which is a bio-based recyclable polymer designed to replace spandex and nylon, most recently seen on Anna Wintour's gorgeous sustainable faux fur coat from Stella McCartney's Fall 2020 collection. Now, I could go on and on about all of the fantastic things she's doing to make the world a better place, But I know it's going to sound so much better coming from her. I'm happy to introduce the founder of Elemental and someone who is a dear friend and just a wonderful person, Heather Barbode. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so overjoyed to be here with you, especially knowing how much has led up to this moment. It is just such an honor. Uh, Yes, you and I have sort of traveled this clean living and sustainability focused road alongside one another now for about one and a half years. And it's been so great to share this journey with someone who really understands all of the learnings that come along with being a responsible consumer and advocate for sustainability. We, of course, have known each other for about 10 years. And throughout that time, we both worked in travel and hospitality. And I know that where you are today and the business that you decided to go into comes from your experience, obviously working in hospitality for the last 15 years. So I'd love to journey back a little bit when you were considering the transition from the amazing career that you were already having to starting all over again and creating your own business in a space that was pretty new to you professionally at that time. Yeah, totally. 
So I spent the bulk of my career working on the agency side and working for a really incredible hospitality agency and helping them grow their business and supporting a lot of clients in the hospitality space and really saw the power that it has to help transform the reputation of a company and build you know, their business from the ground up and really do it by way of earned media coverage, by way of strategic partnerships, and had the experience and the good fortune of working in a lot of different markets across the United States with some international brands and opportunities abroad and just felt really fulfilled by being able to support people in their work. And after doing that for 13 years, I had a bunch of things happen to me in my personal life. And those things forced me to take a step back and analyze, you know, what life I had built for myself in the holistic sense, not just in work, but overall. And I had worked so hard for all these things, you know, um, to build my career, to build this social life that I was proud of. And I was very proud of everything I had accomplished and it wasn't serving me anymore. I was working for it. I was serving it. It wasn't serving me. And so that was what really was the catalyst to helping me see that there was potentially an opportunity for me to break away and and do things in a style that's my own. And I've felt very compelled and had made a lot of changes in my personal life to start adopting uh, more socially responsible and environmentally responsible practices in my everyday choices. And I was like, what would it look like if I exclusively supported brands like that and people that really deeply care about those things. And so that was what helped me launch my business. And it was really scary, but I'm so happy that I did it. Absolutely. And that is amazing. Still, you know, going into a business where the focus is sustainability, and obviously, if you're heading that direction in your personal life, you're learning a lot more, you're doing all of the research on your own. But how did you know you would be able to speak for and represent some of these businesses that are sustainability leaders across a variety of industries? And I ask it in that way because there may be people who are listening who are interested in either a career or volunteering or somehow becoming involved more in a cause that speaks to them in some way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't know, actually. <laughs> I, um, I, had, I sent myself back to school. And I mean, first, I was fortunate enough to meet a mentor who has a lot of extensive experience in working in sustainable aquaculture. And Jennifer Bushman put a lot of trust in me and really gave me my first step into having a client, number one, which is important. And so I'm really lucky to have met her and had her hand in helping me in that way. And then I did take that step back and say, okay, I do have a lot of experience in PR and marketing. And that is translatable across a lot of different industries. I knew that firsthand from all the work I had done. That being said, stepping into a completely different sector, uh, one of sustainability where 
I wanted to do that in a deeper way, not just create like roundup stories and things like that. I wanted to really understand like, what does it mean to be a sustainable business? What are the things that contribute to sustainability and in different industries, how does that take shape? And what are the decisions that need to be made? And how long does it take to make those choices and implement them? And what is the financial impact that it has? And what impact does it have on their ecosystem that they're able to touch more broadly on the world? And then finally on the end consumer or whoever their theoretical end, their customer is. And I realized I didn't know I had read a lot about that because of my personal interest in the issues, but I really didn't know the answers to those questions. And that can't be solved in a short amount of time, but I wanted to start to understand what is behind all of that. And so I sent myself to school and I took a, I enrolled in NYU's Corporate Sustainability Certificate Program. It's led by Tensi, and she is just such an incredible person. And I learned a lot. I basically learned a lot of case studies. I learned a lot about supply chains. I had to put a whole report together on supply chains and sustainability against the SDGs. And yeah, I'm so happy I did that because it gave me just like perspective on like how complicated this web is, you know? And I think one of my biggest things before stepping into this world was like, well, why are we setting goals for 2035? You know, like, can't we set goals that are sooner in the timeline? But then you realize really how hard that is. You know, everything takes time. And so that was a big eye opener. And also, you know, I was coming at it from this perspective of like, I just, I really love the small businesses. I really love supporting these new startup ideas. And like, that's the future. And I still think it is, but I was eschewing what, is a big key component in all of this, which is scale and volume. And if you're not supporting and ushering these big corporations that have that massive global impact into these more sustainable choices and supporting those choices along the way, they're not going to make the decisions that ultimately are going to be the ones that change everything. And so that was an eye opener for me too, is like, wow, we really do need to, when big corporations start making better choices, we really need to support that so that they keep doing it. And I think those were some big takeaways for me. Wow. I love how you really just did a super deep dive into, you know, asking all of these questions of yourself and really trying to get into the mindset of these businesses. And you mentioned that one of your first questions was, what does it mean to be a sustainable business? And I'm curious how the answer to that question would differ for a sustainable startup versus, say, a business that's been a sustainable leader for more years than consumers would be aware of, like before sustainability was a trend-worthy business model such as Serona, one of the businesses you represent, versus a business that, like you said, has been around for decades and is just starting to implement some of those responsible practices that we really should be supporting more. So how does that answer differ for those different types of 
businesses. Let's start with talking about Serona briefly. I mean, Serona is a partially bio-based polymer. The company started 20 years ago. And it's interesting because a lot of people know about it. It's just those people are all in textile creation, material selection, and in design for garments and things like carpets, you know. So the end consumer, like, probably not as knowledgeable about those things. But again, that takes me back to what we were just talking about, which is how deep the supply chain goes and how much every little thing has an effect on it. And so when that company was created 20 years ago, there weren't even certifications in existence to certify its level of sustainability. That didn't happen until years later. So the USDA didn't have a bio-certified program in place yet. Once they did, Serona was one of the first 11 companies to receive it. And so it just is like, that is how complex this is. That's also how, once I started working with them, I was like, biomaterials have been around for 20 years. I didn't know that. You know, I just started hearing about these things like a handful of years ago. So the science is really far ahead, more so than we all realize. And the changes are being made at the top, you know, and then they're trickling down. And that company is supplying polymer. Essentially, it goes into carpets. It's a replacement for spandex. So it's sustainable from the top side, from the creation of it, because it's partially bio-based. It's sustainable because it's durable, it's longer lasting. And then at the end of its life cycle, it's recyclable. So there are all of these attributes that it brings to the table. And that's the what people, companies should be thinking about in terms of impact. It's like, it's not just one section, right? It's, it's the full scale of your impact over time. So what does it mean to be a sustainable business? I I think it's a complicated question because it's not, there's not one answer to that question. There are a number of different things and you have to look at what is my impact? You know, if you're running a food business as an example, because I know a lot about food, what is the impact that I have within the food space? And then beyond that, how am I treating my employees? You know, it's, it's thinking about it in that dynamic way. It's, you need to think about the things that you touch most urgently. And so food and people being the two primary things that as a restaurant, you know, you would be touching. Those are the things where you can make the biggest impact, right? If you want it as a food business to support a fashion company, for example, something in a completely separate industry, that would be fine, but it wouldn't be where you could place your biggest impact. And so I think that's some, a key consideration is when you're thinking about sustainability, it's where can you have the biggest impact within your own life, within the business? Is that environmental? If so, what is it? Or is that on the social good side? And if so, how can you start to implement those changes? That's great. Where can I have the biggest impact? I love that because that concept and that question, if if you just ask yourself this, that spans across not just career and business, but also would go into your everyday life and your spending habits and and uh, just how you live from day to day. That's what I did in my personal life. You know, when I started thinking about 
changing the way I live my life, which was actually the real catalyst to all of this. And it was like, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, Adam Skolnick, who's this awesome deep sea diver, like just really in the ocean all the time. And he was like, Heather, did you know that straws are just a huge issue? And I was like, what are you talking about? And this was 2014. I was like, what are you talking about? And he's like, straws, they're a major issue. He, and then he's like, here are some glass straws. I want you to use these instead. And I was just like, man, I got to carry these around with me everywhere now. I don't know. Is it really that big of a deal? And then sure enough, a few years later, straws, you can't stop hearing about them. Right. But that was the conversation. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, straws, plastic, what else is happening here? You know, when you're thinking about waste and I love this meme that I see on social media all the time. It's like, it's just one straw said 6 billion people, (laughs) right? you know? And it's like, that's exactly the idea. It's like, we feel like it's insignificant because it's like, okay, well, it's just someone, you know, it's fine. But it's that little choice that you're making every single time. And so it's just about making those little choices and figuring out where you can make those choices. So I think that translates into the business side too, is like, where can you make those choices? Sometimes it's going to be cost prohibitive, but if you look at, okay, it's more expensive, but it's going to last longer, you know, so I won't have to buy it as many times. Or, you know, what are those trade-offs? And is it going to be worth it in the long run? Because then it starts to make more sense, right? And I think that's both sides. It's personal and it's business. Something you just said got my wheels spinning about not being as concerned whether or not we're spending a bit more for quality products if they are the kind of products that are built to last. I remember having a conversation years back, maybe in the 90s, about how the way things are made these days are not made to last. And that aligns with how we shop on a larger scale. Consumers want the latest designs, not something that was released like a year ago. And I think technology has really been the catalyst for leading us there. But that also goes hand in hand with the drop-off in customer service, I think. We have automated messages where we have to wait to hear our options for service, and we push a button to be directed to one person in one country or another to help us with whatever problems we're having or whatever questions we have. But we don't have that personal, reliable service that we, as humans, actually need. It's kind of like what you were saying with food or people. They all go hand in hand. It's not just about one thing. It's about all of these things combined. And how do we get to a place where we start to see real change overall? What do you think about that? It reminded me too, as we were saying this, I was like, longer lasting, that's one of the things that people look for. But it's also one of the things that isn't good depending on what it's made of, right? And so I think it's about being curious enough to care, you know, and like understanding that these choices that we're making do matter. And when you're presented, the cool thing now is there are so many options out there. Um, 
And there are so many ways we can make better choices. That wasn't always true. It wasn't always easy and accessible or affordable. And the alternative options, the more environmentally conscious, so to speak, options or what have you, weren't always better or even as good as the more traditional option, the conventional option. And so now that's all changed. You know, I mean, we have full-blown industries with successful businesses that are creating things for us that are just as good, if not better, than the conventional choice. And I think it's just about doing that little bit of homework. And like the way I started on my journey with this was I said to myself, okay, it is not financially possible for me to throw everything away and start over again. Like I can't just clean out my closet and clean out my kitchen and, you know, I have to do it step by step. And so just every time I had a thing that I was ready to buy a new one of, we've talked a lot about clean beauty. Every time I was like, okay, it's time for me to get a new mascara. Okay. It's time for me to get a new foundation. I was making the choice to spend that extra, however much, however long it took me to seek out a different product. And then all of a sudden I look and I'm like, yeah, it's been years or, but now I just have only clean beauty products. That's it. I don't buy any of that other stuff anymore, you know? And I found things that really work for me and it did take trial and error as it does when you're trying new anything. You're going to be like, I don't like that foundation. My best friend thinks it works for her and it does not work for me, <laughs> you know? And so I, I did that. You do yeah. it anyway. So why not do it in a way where it's like these products don't have these 50 chemicals that we know are bad for you. It just, it, it's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you start making those choices, every time you have to buy something new anyway, it's easier for you. You're just investing in yourself. I like how you said, we do it anyway. <laughs> I mean, so if you're going to do it anyway, if you're going to test the products that aren't better for the environment or for you or your health, for animal welfare, all of the above, why would you not want to spend your hard-earned dollars on products for your skin or cleaning solvents for your home that are taking your health into consideration first and foremost. It really does seem like a no-brainer. So one of the topics I wanted to discuss today is also related to how we shop, specifically for food. You have worked with businesses whose specialty is in aquaculture. And I remember going to an event you worked on last year at the Long Beach Aquarium where David E. Kelly spoke to the importance of buying sustainable fish. And I recall a woman asking a question during the Q&A, where can we buy the environmentally responsible wild fish? Because if we as consumers want to shop responsibly, we need to know where to find these products. So maybe you can give an overview of what aquaculture is and provide a bit of insight into where the industry is headed. Sure. Yeah, I've learned a lot about aquaculture in the last couple of years. There's so much more to learn, but I think as a baseline, aquaculture is fish farming. And it has been around since people 
have been eating fish. We've been, you know, farming everything the way we do on land. We do it in the water. It's the same thing. Um, but this is production of it for human consumption. And it happens all over the world. It's a massive industry. It's been growing exponentially for decades because we have fished our oceans to capacity. We can't pull out more fish from the wild than we already are. So how can we keep feeding hungry people and a growing population and farming is the answer? There are a lot of ways that it could be done. And there are some companies that are doing an exceptional job of producing food that people want to eat that is respectful of the animal and that's respectful of the environment. And Riverance is one of those companies and I've worked with several others that are also doing incredible things. Um, Pacifico down in Baja, California, a current client of mine, Quarry Arctic out in Norway. And, you know, I mean, they think of everything that you didn't know you needed to think of just so you could have a beautiful piece of fish on your plate. And one that is nutritious, one that didn't deplete the environment, that gave back more than it took. So, you know, I think that's a great question. How can you find it? Where, where can you find it? And the answer is, first, you need to know if you have the access to the information to know the name of these companies, some of them I just mentioned, that's power because then you can go look for it by name. But if you're not that fortunate, if you don't know the name yet, it is really hard for you to know where to look. The seafood industry it has traditionally been hazy. There's more information out there than there ever has been before. But I think, you know, there are some standards you can look for in fish and seafood. So just like you would see a fair trade stamp on your coffee or USDA organic certified stamp on other things that you would buy, the fish and seafood industry has ASC and MSC certifications. BAP is a certification. Fairtrade did start certifying some seafood companies. So those are things you can look for and understand like, okay, they're meeting standards of excellence that are recognized within the industry. And this is a better choice. And then if you have access to knowing more, then you can start making even better choices. It's so fascinating because there really are so many things to think about when we're talking about sustainability and what it means. In a recent conversation I had on fair trade, we discussed the UN's 17 Sustainable Development Goals, which cover a broad spectrum of challenges for the environment, human health, poverty, and so on. But listening to you and learning about aquaculture, which to be quite honest, I wasn't familiar with much at all before last year, and also the work you're doing in sustainable fashion, these conversations continue to open my eyes on how we are all challenged by the harmful practices that have been handed down to us from many, many, many generations. And that's why I focus this podcast on what I call sustainable lifestyle, which encompasses every part of a person's daily life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think sustainability is one of those terms that makes us think of, you know, plastic or environmentalism. And we don't always remember that people are part of the equation and such an essential part of the equation. And in the restaurant space, 
the reason why I love working with Gavin Kaysen is because he thinks about that first all the time. He's like, how can I create? And this is what separates him from a lot of the profession is that, and that's a term I use because of him too. He, he calls it a profession. He doesn't call it an industry. And it's like, now you're starting to personalize it, right? You're creating an environment that's personal and people oriented um, and not just driven by like, how hard can we work during the shift? We know you're not going to stick around, you know, creating an environment and cultivating an environment where people want to be and giving them resources that they need. Like we know that the restaurant profession, it has a lot of people working in it that need mental health and wellness resources, that need physical health and wellness resources because they're on their feet all day. And those are not things that are provided generally to employees that work in that field. And so thinking about those things and helping people, ushering them along the way, creating, you know, retirement plans, doing these things that are just not traditionally part of the industry. And that's how sustainable businesses think differently than anyone else. And I think he's a leader in that space. I like that. I like how he, you said, personalizes the business. It's not, it's not just about business anymore, really. It's about the people that are working for him and the people who are dining in the restaurants. It really, it, it comes down to community. And it's not enough for us to, or for businesses to just take into consideration whether or not they are implementing sustainable practices, but it's also super important to make sure that we're taking care of people. Aside from what you've discovered about the responsible practices of the businesses that you work with, I'd love for you to share what sustainability means to you personally, especially now that your perspective covers a broader range of ethical concepts. I am still working on it. And I've been working on it for years now, longer than the start of my company. And I think about, you know, it started with my food choices. It started with, because that again, has been such a big part of my life. It started with understanding where my food comes from. And like, we hear people talk about that a lot, but I mean, like for real, do you know where it's coming from? And do you know what went into it? Are you, the restaurants that you're going to, are they making responsible decisions? The food that you're buying at the grocery store, like all that kind of stuff, right? So that was my first point of entry, I would say, like really, truly. And that happened so many years ago and starting to chip away at that. And then, as I mentioned, just like talking to friends and building relationships that started introducing me to new ideas, uh, the clean beauty idea, the plastic idea, and just start, I mean, when you dig in, then you're like, did you know, and these are my little aha moments along the way, like, did you know that your gum is plastic? Did you know that your floss is plastic? These are things that I had no idea. And so once you start discovering it, then you have that information, you have the power to make better choices, right? So then to me, I'm like, okay, this is, that's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to keep chipping away at it. And I'm going to start figuring out like different areas of my life little by little that I can make these choices and these changes and I'm not going to be perfect and I'm going to forget to take my reusable water bottle out with me today. <laughs> or maybe I'm 
you know, like I'm going to forget. And then like, can I forgive myself? Like, (laughs) you know, but eventually, you know, I'm going to make the right choice many times and I'm going to do it enough times that it's having an impact. And that to me is what it's about. And you and I went to a conference a year ago, environmental working group. And I think the gentleman who was hosting it, he said a similar thing. And it's like, it's not about being perfect all the time. And it's not about like, all of a sudden I'm living this no waste life. I mean, what a dream. I would love that, but it's not reality for a lot of people, you know? And so I think that for me, living a sustainable life is making these small, better choices over time, doing it consistently, trying to figure out what's next along the way and being open to that change and being open to sharing that with your friends and family too, because, you know, they're probably, they would probably do it if they knew. It's almost like a personal evolution that you've been on because like you said, You were every step of the way discovering new things, and you have these little aha moments that are leading you to the next step in your evolution, and then taking that a step further to share the information that you've learned with others, then it becomes circular. When you're helping others become aware of how to live healthier, And that's so amazing. And that is also why, as you know, why I'm doing this podcast. But before we run out of time, I want to make sure that I get this one question in. And you kind of touched upon it earlier, but if you could suggest one actionable step that someone could take to begin their sustainable lifestyle journey today, what would it be? I think they should take a look at their list of things that they're getting ready to buy and figure out what on that list could be a a different brand, you know, and start to do a little bit of homework, spend 15 minutes Googling bleach alternatives for household cleaners. I don't like, I don't know what people are looking for, but that's how you, that's how you get going, right? Like best clean beauty brands out there. We know there's some places you can immediately go to that have done the homework for you. So that's an easy way to go. There's Thrive Market. There's Credo Beauty where you and I have talked about Credo a lot. Like it's like the Sephora for clean beauty. You could just go there and then they've done all the homework for you. And then it's like, okay, now which one do I want to buy? So I think it's finding ways to make it easy for yourself, but you start with your checklist of these are the 10 things on my list I've got to buy this week. And how do I make a better choice when I'm going to purchase those things? That's great advice because every week I am making a shopping list, whether or not it's for groceries or household products or whatever it is that I need, dog food. And so, yeah, it's, it's really that simple. But then why does it take so long for some of us to make those changes? Yeah. Well, change is intimidating because you probably have like grown accustomed to whatever those things are in your life and or you really, really like them, you know? And so you're like, well, why would I change that? But I think there's also a point where you're like, the discovery process could be really cool. You might actually like it even more than this thing that you're doing right now. 
And if not, like, okay, then maybe that's not the one, you know, maybe it, maybe there's something else that you can make a change in. I really like that way of looking at it. So maybe you don't want to change out your body lotion right now because you like the way it smells and you haven't found anything that could take its place. So along that same train of thought, what products are you using that you're not happy with and that maybe you get a headache from the smell because it's super strong or whatever? So you wouldn't mind changing it anyway. And then you just start there. Yeah, I love that and I absolutely agree. That's a great place to start. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom and your inspiring way of looking at things. I love all of the the knowledge bombs that you drop on me. And I just really appreciate your time. So thank you. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. And congratulations on the podcast. And I can't wait to listen to all the episodes with the other incredible people that you're sure to talk to. Wow. I hope you have all enjoyed the show today. Getting to know Heather, her company Elemental, and the fantastic responsible businesses she helps. I know I always enjoy speaking with her. She is such a wonderful wealth of knowledge on sustainable sourcing within the food and hospitality professions. Did you catch that? Profession, not industry, as Chef Gavin Kaysen says. Plus, her growing wisdom in fashion and textiles and so many more ethical concepts. And I'm just super happy with our conversation today. And I certainly hope you got some helpful takeaways as well, even if it simply introduced you to new ideas and inspired confidence in putting more thought into what you buy. Because really, that is all it takes. Just a little kindling of thoughts that may someday light a fire within you to make different, considerate, ethical, healthier choices. 